Welcome to Winning Is Not Everything, where we bring sanity back to youth sports by focusing on character development, effort, and sportsmanship, not rankings and trophies. I'm your host, Sean Jensen, former NFL reporter, children's book author, and youth sports coach. People always want J.R. Martinez to start with the accident in Iraq while he was serving in the U.S. Army. The journey after that is an inspiring one that's seen him become one of the most versatile men in the United States. New York Times bestselling author, actor on an Emmy award-winning series, Dancing with the Stars champion, and much, much more. But find out why J.R. was so excited to speak to us about what happened before the life-changing accident. Stay tuned. Everyone loves a good story, but with more and more content and information available, I often find that people just want to jump to the most dramatic part. That's easy to do with J.R. Martinez. On April 5, 2003, he was on what was supposed to be a routine patrol in Iraq when the Humvee he was driving hit a roadside bomb. The vehicle, loaded with explosives, ejected the three other soldiers in the car, leaving him trapped inside alone. J.R. survived, but required 34 surgeries over for 34 months. But you know how we do on this podcast. Before we focus on the present or the future, we must dive into the past. And JR was thrilled to spend part one of our talk discussing his many childhood challenges. Let's get to it. I am so excited to have as my guest today, J.R. Martinez. J.R., thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, man, Sean, thank you so much. When I got the invitation to be on the pod, I immediately was gravitated to it just simply from, you know, the title. And, you know, the title grabbed me. And the title is something that I think more people need to put emphasis on and embrace this concept of, like, you don't have to necessarily win all the time. And because and if you're winning all the time, then where's the opportunity to grow? Where's the opportunity to learn? Where is the resiliency, you know, built? Where does that come from? And honestly, I've had so many instances over the course of my life where I was a part of a team and I was a very small part of a team, but I, I embraced the idea that I was a part of a team and whatever my role was, man, I ran with that. And I think those are incredible life lessons. I, you know, I don't know if you know this part, but my daughter who's 10 years old plays softball and I coach her team. And I tell you what, man, one of the most entry level ways of talking about leadership. I mean, you got 10, 11, 12, you know, uh, girls that are 9, 10, 11 years old that are on your team. And you got one girl that is like, you know, coach, I'm losing my motivation. And then you got another girl that is like, coach, I got a hundred on my test today. And you got another girl that is like, oh, it's so hot. And you got another girl that's like, let's go. And then you got another one that's super quiet. And you got to find ways to kind of get them all to buy in and to stay connected to the, what the purpose is. But you know, I always tell the girls, I'm like, yeah, we want to win. That's, I get that. I understand that that's the point. But we're, we're doing something bigger here. We're learning about life in this moment. And these are lessons, whether you continue to play softball or not, it's going to carry over for the rest of your life. What you do on this field is going to help you in everything you do for the rest of your life. So I love the name of the pod, man. And I'm just excited to be here. Well, JR, that's deeply encouraging. But one of the things I, I spent so much time trying to figure out the right title for the podcast. And, and you yourself have an incredible podcast with a very profound title. 
title, which is very reflective of the man you are and inspiration that you provide. But for me, one of the best lessons that I've learned, and again, it's so much of it is about the podcast, winning is not everything. It's because that we each have to define for ourselves what success is, right? And winning is not everything. And I feel like it's a countercultural statement because so many people live by that. Winning is everything. And it really isn't because how do you win, right? And, and one of the values that I live by is integrity. And if you win something, but you've cheated to do it, that's not a victory. And if you've somehow conned young athletes and parents into buying into your win at all cost mentality, you've done irreparable damage, not only to those people, but to all the people they influence. All the stakeholders, right? Like you've done a disservice to those individuals. And it's something that is, it's so important, you know, where I always, tell people like it's so important to to be able to do like a SWOT analysis frequently you know S strengths W weaknesses O opportunities T threats and do one not just every once a year or twice a year no do one every day or every yeah. week or every other week or whatever and the reason why is because what's a strength today may not be a strength tomorrow what's a weakness today may not be in a weakness tomorrow and it's so important for people to do that because by doing that I found I have found personally that you end up finding out what is success to you. You end up finding out what it is you want to accomplish and you don't get sucked into what I'd like to refer to as the pinata effect. And what that Mm. means by that is like, I mean, how many of us have been at a party where there's a pinata or we've seen viral videos of people (laughs) hitting people with the sticks or the bat or whatever, but you know what happens as soon as they bust that thing open man all the candy drops out and all the kids rush in and they're grabbing stuff they don't even know what they're grabbing they're just grabbing and they just run away with a handful of all this stuff that they may or may not like some kids may even be allergic to it but in the moment they're they're just like we just gotta grab because that's the way we're conditioned we're conditioned to just grab we don't even know what we're doing and so it is important like you said what is success to you what is your definition and you will never find that out if you're never doing a SWOT analysis, if you're never mm-hmm. sitting with yourself and kind of having those deep internal conversations and finding out what matters to you most. And it's like, you know, there's this quote I read recently and I'm going to butcher it completely, but it's something <laughs> along the lines of, you know, don't ask me where I've been. Don't ask me where I've lived. Don't ask me you know, how much I've made. Instead, ask me how I lived. Instead, ask me what my interests are. Instead, ask me what I've tried. Ask me those questions. And by asking me those questions, then you get to know me. Then you potentially take something away. But if I'm just telling you my life and just telling you and telling you, what's the takeaway? There's a lot of components in my story that people have a tendency to focus on the adult stuff that I've experienced, meaning my injury in Iraq. And they completely overlook what I experienced in my childhood. And I tell people all the time, I was like, you know, when people ask me to come in and speak and say, can you start from that moment when you were in Iraq yeah. and you were injured? And I said, in order to understand how I overcame that, you have to look at the previous 19 years of my life because yeah. resiliency isn't something that I suddenly developed. That's I right. was working on it and developing it. So by the time that adversity presented itself in my life, I was ready. I was good. It's so deeply, you know, important, man. And listen, I take me and my, my, my fellow coaches, we take it to heart that we got this opportunity that the parents entrust us with their children to, you know, to coach them and give them life lessons and encourage them and just keep them upbeat because it's bigger than sports, man. It's bigger than winning.
I remember when I moved to Georgia my senior year of high school, I wanted to play football so bad and I reached out to the football coach and I said, I just moved here, I'm a senior, I wanna play football. And he said, we don't take seniors. He's like, unless you're a starter or your first team, we don't take, we don't just take people to walk on a campus and, or seniors and be on our team. And I said, I understand that policy. All I'm asking you to do is give me a chance. That's it. Mm -hmm. And he said, okay. So I came out to tryouts and I remember that I wasn't a hundred percent. I just had surgery on my ankle like a couple months before. And so I'm kind of hobbling out there, but you know what I'm doing, Sean? I don't know, not one, not one athlete on that yeah. football field. I don't know them, they don't know me. And I would go up to the star guy, which I later learned was a star player. And I, he'd put his head down after a play, after a drill and he messed up or he didn't do as well as he wanted. And I'd like tap him and be like, yo, come on, man, you're good. Next, next one, next one, next rep, next rep. So needless to say, after the practice is over, the coach calls me into his office. He sits me across from his desk and he says, I want you to know you made this team. You made this team not because of your ability, you made this team because of your attitude. Wow. And I remember thinking, I'm sitting there, you know, 17 years old, and I'm like, what does that even mean? I don't even know what that mm. means, and you know? And, I, and later in life, it started to make sense, and he and I talk still to this day, and wow. he's like, JR, it's your attitude, because you know what I embraced, Sean? I wasn't a starter on that team. Very rarely was I a first-team sub. I was, I was playing special teams as a senior. I was on scout team telling the coach, yo, put me on scout, because I'm going to run the ball, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put the starters, you know, through some pain, let's go. I was the guy on Friday nights. I wasn't in the game, but you know what I was doing? Man, I was encouraging all the guys. I'd run out to the field, meet them when they came off the field, whether they did something good or didn't do something good. I was the guy that was standing on the bleachers, like on the bench on the sideline with a towel and rallying the fans to get hype and get loud. I embraced my role. And to me, that's success. Just because I wasn't the guy that got the offers to go to a D1 school, D2 school, whatever, to play ball, that was success to me. And honestly, that has been the thing that has helped me succeed, I believe, in life. Well, we're going to get to that because that is something I feel that's so important. And I know that you've made an incredible name for yourself as a speaker and actor and I mean, Dancing with the Stars winner. But let's go back. And the first thing I just want to ask you is where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? Childhood was tough, man. You know, childhood presented a lot of challenges. You know, I was born in Louisiana, Shreveport, Louisiana. You know, my mother's an immigrant from Central America at Salvador. My father is from Mexico. My father left when I was nine months old, just left my mother and I just alone. Uh, my mother had to figure out, you know, English and how to raise his child on her own. And unfortunately, I witnessed a lot of trauma because my mother fell into some relationships where she, unfortunately she became a victim of domestic abuse. And I would witness this and it was, it happened pretty often. And my routine as a five, six, seven, eight year old is when he decided to take out his aggression on her, I had to grab the phone, dial those three numbers, go hide in a part of the house and, and tell them where we were and they would come and pick them up and take them off and guess what? Two weeks later, he was back in the house. And we just repeated that cycle. And if it wasn't happening in my house, it was happening in our complex, you know, where we lived. And there was just, you know, just unfortunately a lot of violence. And, and you know, that was just what I grew up in. But you know what, man? From the outside looking in, if you look, looked at my life, you would say that's not stable for that young, young boy because we moved around a lot. Because my mother, whatever money she made, well, this year we can afford this place. Well, next year we can't. So we got to move. And so we moved a lot. So there wasn't stability. And so you you may look at that and say, well, that's not a good thing for that kid. And yeah, I agree with that, right? No, we don't want to put our kids through that. 
However, looking at it as an adult, I'm like, ooh, I learned so many valuable lessons in that. And the thing that, you know, even though there was a lot of trauma, I was with my mom and I love my mom and I was like, I'm good, like it doesn't matter. But at the age of nine, my mom said that we were gonna move to another state and we ended up moving to Hope, Arkansas. That was a challenge for me, man. Nine years old, taken out of my, my little comfort zone, my little bubble of Louisiana, going to Arkansas, being one of the first Hispanic kids to arrive in that town and being picked on and hazed because I was Hispanic and just trying to find my identity, trying to find community, trying to find a, a place that I felt like I can call home. It was a small town of back then of like 7,000 people. I went a lot of people in that town. And, and, and unfortunately, not everybody had ambition to leave Hope or leave Arkansas and go out to the world, but I always had that ambition. And I just, by the time I got older, listen, I got jumped by grown men just because I, I was a lone wolf. I didn't have cousins or uncles or anybody to stand up for me. Like literally grown men would follow the bus and the minute that I got off the bus, they would just literally just jump me. Three guys, I remember specifically like jumping me and then I, because I didn't want to talk to them uh, because I didn't want to engage in sort of this behavior that they were engaging in. You know, I was a kid, man, that because I was, you know, getting picked on a lot, I felt the only way that I could defend myself was by fighting. So, of course, what happens? I get into fights, I get suspended. I'm suspended for three days at times, five days, a week. What happens? I don't tell my mom, first of all, this is how crazy life is. I don't tell my mom that I'm suspended. So I get up in the morning and I, I get dressed like as if I'm going to school. Dude, I would just go sit in the park the entire day. I would just roam around town, 10 years old, 12 years old, 15 years old. And I would come home at like 3.30 and be like, oh, had a good day at school, mom. Mom never knew because my mom worked the graveyard shift. So I had a tremendous amount of responsibility at the age of nine where I had to get myself up in the morning, get myself to school, get myself home. I had to do laundry. I had to like wash my mom's clothes. And then I'd come back and start playing video games. And then my mom would be like, where, I wonder where those clothes are. And I'm like, oh, I forgot about the clothes. And I'd run back over to the laundromat to pick up the clothes. And, you know, somebody was trying to use the, the washing machine or the dryer and they would take them out and put them on top of the machine. And I'm like, ah, you know, there was a tremendous amount of responsibility that I had. You know, it, it was a struggle. And what happened because I kept getting suspended and getting in trouble, you know, you go back to school and the teacher's going over, the, you know, reviewing all the material that they've covered and learned. I don't know any of this stuff because I've been roaming around Hope, Arkansas because I was suspended. And instead of me asking for help, I immediately created this defense mechanism where this is dumb. This is stupid anyways. I don't care. You know, I don't care. And so the sad thing is, man, and I know that there are a lot of kids out there that experience this. I literally had D's and F's, maybe the occasional C if I didn't get in, into a lot of trouble that year. Every year when I moved to Hope third grade all the way to 11th grade, I just got passed, 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 passed. Um. No one ever stopped to say, hey, why are your grades like this? Or, hey, you didn't get the proper grade, so we're going to hold you back. The only time I was sort of held accountable and I was sort of reprimanded for my academics 
was my sophomore year of football. I wasn't eligible to play the rest of the season because of my GPA had dropped. And I think it was like a 2.0 is what it had to be. And it dropped below that. But instead of somebody saying, why are your grades like that? And I always talk about this element and this power of just one person. It just takes one person. And if one person would have sat down and said, hey, young man, let's talk about what's going on in your world. Let's talk about what's going on in your life. Maybe that would have made a difference sooner. And it didn't happen until I moved to Georgia, my senior high school. And so... You know, listen, in those almost nine years that I lived in Arkansas, I lived in six homes. I'm a miracle that I am where I am today. And I know you've talked to a lot of athletes and a lot of people that have had similar upbringings and have created a life for themselves and have, you know, become generational cycle breakers, which is essentially what I'm most proudest of. I have my wife, I have my two kids, I'm breaking cycles and I'm starting healthier ones. And that's my legacy. It's not the dancing, it's not the acting, it's not the speaking, it's not the books, it's not the podcast. It's my kids and what they see and what they carry with them. But as much as you can look at my life and say there was a lot of like trauma and adversity, I look at that period of my life and I realize that me moving around as much, me having to be independent and have a lot of responsibility, that just prepared me for my life as an adult. Because you know how many times, Sean, I've gotten a call from someone said, hey, we need you to, there's an opportunity in New York. And I lived in Dallas at the time. And I was like, I'm gone. I'm out. You know how many times people said, oh, you know what? The opportunity is now not in New York. It's going to be in LA. I'm gone. I'm out. You know what? We need you to go, you know, there's an opportunity to go film in Cape Town, South Africa for four months. You down? I'm gone. I'm out. It prepared me to have this element of resiliency and fearlessness that I was like fluidless where I can just be like, I'm out, I'm gone, and it's worked for me. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Winning Is Not Everything. Please make sure to like the podcast and subscribe to the podcast so you can immediately get the latest episode. If you have any comments or questions, visit my website, seankjensen.com, and go to the contact page where you can even leave me a voice recording. Winning is not everything, but the three H's to be a real hero in life are hustle, humility, and heart. I'm your host, Sean Jensen, and we'll see you again next time.